church if we could make our ways back to our uh, seats. No. <laughs> Just, he's returning. Um, and come up when I talk about Francis Key Scott. National Anthem. Yeah. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah 11, chapter 11. So if you would like to stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Mm-mm-mm. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike on the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and mm-hmm. faithfulness the belt of his loins. Mm-hmm. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze their young, shall graze their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord mm-hmm. as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious." In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that that remains of his people. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Patros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Mm. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Mm. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out of their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Amorites, Ammonites shall obey them, and the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath, and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals, and there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, how we doing? How we doing with us, Isaiah? We doing okay? Rolling through our series, chapter eleven. Um, you might be looking and going, "Wow, we got we got fifty some to go." Um, in the coming weeks, we're going to actually start doing five and six and seven chapter chunks. 
So we're going to be moving fast here pretty soon. The title this morning, A Glorious Hope and a Joyful Good News. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to our hearts this morning. Yes. By your spirit, make yourself known. Lord, we need you. That's not a token. Um, that's not a token. Token words, those are not religious verbiage. It's a cry of our heart. God, we need you. Come meet with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah helps us to ask, who is God? What kind of God do you have? What kind of God do you want? What kind of God do you make him to be? Is he the Santa Claus God who knows you when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake? Is he the God that gives you abundant life in the way I define abundant life is health, wealth, and prosperity? Is he the God who is the genie of the lamp, who exists to give me my three wishes, which we would call prayer, and we would like more than three, please? Is he the God that we create in our own image, in our own minds, or is God, God? The gap between the God we want or the God we make him to be and the God who is can be enormous. We all have to wrestle with this question, who is God? It's an identity question, isn't it? And God's identity, who is God, helps inform who are we, our identity. His identity informs our identity and from our identity, we find purpose. We find our responsibility. Another way to say it is his identity informs our identity, which informs how do we live. Who he is informs who we are, which informs what do we do. So chapters 9 and 10 if we were to think back a little bit over these chapters, some of the people came to realize who God is. They came to realize the identity of God and who God is, to put it in a word very succinctly in chapters 9 and 10, he's the redeemer. Even in his judgment, he is found to be redeeming his people. And once they saw that God's identity is he's the faithful redeemer, their identity began to take shape. What's their identity? Remnant. They're the remnant people of God. God's identity, faithful redeemer, helped take shape their identity in our identity, remnant, which helps take shape, what do we do? What did they do? They're the repentant, remnant people of God. We see in these chapters that his identity is redeemer. Our identity is remnant and redeemer plus remnant equals rejoicing. And we'll see the start of the rejoicing in our text this morning. 
What good news is this? Remnant. Remnant. What good news is that there is a Redeemer who causes us to be a remnant, a returning, repentant people of God, awakened to the things of God, which ushers in this response of rejoicing. Chapter 9 is about the pride of the people, God's people. Chapter 10 is about the pride of their enemies, the Assyrians. And at the end of chapter 10, we see God taking up the axe and leveling the forest. A picture of God's judgment on the people. And all that remains in the forest is stumps. No trees, no branches, no birds to nest, no nests for birds to, yeah. There's no nests. <laughs> There's no leaves. Just imagine the forest. Just stumps. Due to human pride, God swings the axe and he levels the forest. And all that remains are stumps, dead stumps. Here's our big idea this morning. The remnant is a remnant because of the good news of Christ, the Spirit, and that day. We'll unpack those. Due to this good news, the response of the remnant is joy. Number one, the good news of redemption, Christ and the Spirit. So look again, verses one through five. Wow, when Richard was reading this, because I'm aware of where we're going in the text, just give me chills. Hear it again. There shall come from a, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. We'll pause right there. Verse number one, a shoot out of the stump of Jesse. It's a picture of this felled forest, nothing but stumps. And in this one stump, the stump of Jesse, there will be a shoot. Something will come from the line of Jesse that will be this stump. And what Isaiah is prophesying, showing us, is that new life will come in the deadness of this felled forest via a king. Because when you say Jesse, you're going to talk about a kingly heritage. Now, the other Old Testament writers don't refer to it as being the the line of Jesse or from the stump of Jesse. Usually you hear it referred to as from the line of David. I want to submit to you that verse number one, verse number two as well, is just utter grace. That out of the deadness of the forest, out of the judgment of God, due to man's pride, chapter nine, due to the Assyrian's pride, chapter 10, he levels the forest and a stump, out of a stump of Jesse, a shoot will arise. That shoot is none other than Jesus Christ, our Savior. To say the shoot out of the stump of Jesse is to say 
This is not just another king of many kings that will come. Rather, his reference to Jesse is to say he has a kingly heritage, but this king is not King David. This is not David, the son of Jesse. There will be another that comes from Jesse's stump, who is Jesus. We find that fulfilled in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1. The genealogy, the part that we go, ah, it's kind of boring, maybe we'll skip over it. Let me just read part of it. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. Out of the stump, there will be a shoot who is Jesus Christ. But not only will there be a shoot out of that stump, we're told in verse 10, jump down to verse 10 a moment, in that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand. So he's not only the shoot, but referring to Christ again, he's also the root of Jesse, meaning the one who gave Jesse life and breath, who is the root of Jesse, is also to be the shoot of Jesse, who is to come to the felled forest of darkness and death and bring light to a remnant people, the people of God. The remnant doesn't deserve a shoot out of the stump. This is the gospel of the Old Testament. This is the gospel of redemption. The cut down forest is the judgment of God due to human pride, but out of the judgment, a king will come. Jesus will come to the deadness of their hearts and of our hearts. Look what it says in verse one. Speaking of that stump, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Another way that could be said, unlike all the other kings of Israel, this king will bear fruit. Another way we could say it, you're here today because of the fruit of this shoot that comes from the stump and root of Jesse. You're here because of that fruit. You are the fruitfulness of Christ. You live in that kingdom because of King Jesus. And because, verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Well, that's interesting. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Can we go to the New Testament? Do we see that fulfilled anywhere? Glad you asked. Matthew 3. 
And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. All of the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. And the, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, what is that? It's a, it's a, those words are judicial words. This is the judicial king who has a government. Remember that from chapter 9? His government is ruled with perfect wisdom and perfect understanding. It is a way to say, this is not King Ahaz. Counsel and might. The counsel being referred to here and the might being referred to here is military. Military counsel, military strategy, and military might. It's power, it's strength. He will bring the military strategy to defeat the enemy and he will bring victory because he has the might to accomplish his strategy. Again, that's not King Ahaz. Knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Knowledge is the truth grasped. Listen, the lost are lost because they don't know. They don't have the spirit who is knowledge. If they knew, they wouldn't do what they do. And the fear of the Lord is awe and worship and adoration. The fear of the Lord by the spirit is what motivates us to obedience and a life of worship. And so redemption is being brought. New life is being brought to the deadness of the felled forest. And it comes from Jesus and power for the new life in the redeemed forest comes from the spirit who is able to overcome the deadness of the forest of our hearts of stone and cause a shoot to grow from the stump. Jesus and the spirit are on display right here just in the first two verses. What grace. Which do you need, Jesus or the spirit? Yes, we need both and we are given both. It says in verse three, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This is an inward response. There's just inward delight. Verse four is an outward response. He defends the meek. He slays the wicked with his righteousness. Verse five, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, faithfulness, the belt of his loins. This is, this is to say he will be what the people have not been and he will be a king and his rule will be, his kingdom will be unlike the kingdom that you've been a part of. Actually, the kingdom they're a part of has already split. There's the northern kingdom and Isaiah is here in the southern kingdom. Christ will come, right? New Testament. The kingdom of God is at hand. He will come and his kingdom will be ruled with righteousness and faithfulness. He will be what the previous kings were not and the previous people were unable to be. 
those people and those gover- the government had a strategy. They had a military might that they were proud of. They made plans. They put their trust in a king who was unable to deliver. The king failed. The people failed. Putting their trust in a leader. Today, we easily put our trust in leaders of our day. That being political leaders, that being athletics, athletes, Hollywood, movie stars, pastoral, you fill in the blank. They can only fail, but Jesus Christ rules with righteousness and faithfulness. Ray Ortland Jr. says it like this. Jesus is righteous and faithful just by being true to himself. He never needs to fear himself or correct himself. Unlike every other human leader, Jesus Christ is clothed not only not with the trappings of human ego, but with righteousness and faithfulness. We can trust him without being guarded. If we do hold back, we're saying that we are more to be trusted than he is. We're saying that he is no better than a pompous Assyria or a wishy-washy Ahaz. That is our greatest sin. To think and act as our own saviors and to disrespect the savior of the world. We have good intentions, but he has good judgment and power. When we start to trust him more than we trust ourselves, we're beginning to understand what it means to trust him at all. Church, I appeal to you. Place all your trust in Jesus Christ. He can be trusted. Man cannot be trusted. Place all your trust in the able hands of the good news of the Redeemer. Redemption found in the work of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Point number two, the good news of the remnant in that day. Did you hear it as Richard was reading through just verse 10, verse 11, there's that refrain, in that day, in that day. Let's actually back up. Let's read verse six and following. Because what in the world's going on here? The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion, the fattened calf together. The little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea in that day. In that day. Verse 6 through 9. What is up with all the wolf and the lamb and the leopard and the goat? And they're all hanging out together. Do the redemption of Jesus in the felled forest and the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ will restore every last inch of this created due to sin forest wasteland. He'll restore. He will make all things right again. 
How big, church, is your gospel? What is the extent of the atonement of Christ? Christ died and he thoroughly reversed the curse. Everything we read of in Genesis chapter three reverses at the cross of Christ. Christ died and reversed the curse of sin and death in every way imaginable. That's what verses six through nine are saying. Meaning all that is due to sin will one day be reversed. Meaning, right, like you read through these, you've got the wolf and the lamb, right? You got the child and the adder's den. Like the predator and the prey are reconciled at the cross of Christ. This is the ultimate triumph of grace. This is grace through and through. Christ will come. Christ will redeem. This is not a a token awakening of our hearts. This is not this is not Christ awakening us to some religious activities. This is not Tim be a better Tim in 2020. This is not do more good things, more good efforts. This is not spirituality. This is an awakening. This is out of the deadness of the forest. New life has come. This is God completely awakening our hearts to the person of Jesus Christ and the activity of the Spirit. This is an awakening of all that is dead due to our sin. This is what we deserve and all that we have earned. Christ deals with it at the cross. This is darkness brought into light. This is joy in the pursuit of purity. This is to delight in the things of God. This is killing the flesh so that I might honor my Savior who hung on Calvary's tree. This is joy even in the painful circumstances of life. This is so far from religious activity. This is passionate worship for a Savior and by the Spirit. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Spirit of the living God secured a victory that is so thorough, nothing in creation will be left untouched. Do you believe that? Nothing in creation was left untouched in the curse. And when Christ comes to recreate not only our hearts, but all of creation, when he says there will be a new heaven and a new earth, I don't think we fully grasp what we're saying there, what the word is saying there. It is this, Christ's atonement atonement is so thorough, not an inch of his creation is left untouched in the reversal of the curse. Out of the stump, there will be a shoot It's what we often refer to as the already and the not yet. 
we want you, Trinity, to be aware. When we say the already and the not yet, what are we talking about? The already, Christ has come. The already, the Spirit now lives in us. But Isaiah is also pointing to and not yet. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is not yet. Sin has been dealt with, the already in Christ. Sin continues and the effects of sin continue until Christ returns, not yet. This is the audacious extent of the gospel. Yes, Christ saved you on the cross, but that's not all he did. In that day, all will be restored. Yes, you've been given a redeemed new life, but one day you will live, live in a redeemed creation where all will be made new to the glory of God, right? How does scripture say it? Forever and ever, amen. The audacious extent of the gospel. He will one day usher in a kingdom which will end poverty and sickness. He will one day usher in a kingdom and will, it will end the starvation of refugee babies, the end of sex trafficking, the end of war, the end of murder, the end of backbiting and all the rest. It will end reversed through the atonement of Jesus Christ. This is the good news, and it's not small news. How big is your gospel? We just celebrated last month through the month of December. It was our Advent season. Each week we were unpacking the glory of Christ. He's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Week after week after week unpacking that. Here's the Christ is coming. Well, Christ has come, the already. Christ is coming, not yet. Jesus, our Emmanuel, the entire month celebrating that Advent. But that glory of the Advent points to another glory. That glory we'll celebrate on Good Friday. We'll come together on Good Friday and we will celebrate what Christ accomplished on the cross. It is finished. But that glory points to another glory three days later. On Resurrection Sunday, we'll gather together and we'll celebrate and we'll worship that he is no longer in the grave, but he's risen from the dead. And that glory points to another glory. When he stood before his disciples and he said to his disciples, you know what, guys? It's better that I would leave you. Huh, what? Because when I go, I will send you a helper to not just live among you, but I will send God the Spirit to now live in you. That glory points to another glory. Christ will return for his bride, the church. He will come again and the, re the curse will be entirely reversed in every way imaginable to the glory of our God. Ray Ortland again says, even now the fullness of his kingdom is only an inch away. All that stands between the present moment and the promised future is the command of God. He is not waiting for, for favorable conditions in human social evolution. All he has to do is give the order. 
Christ will come and judge and save and rule because he is himself our peace. And Isaiah isn't about when will that happen. Isaiah is about who will do this and to what extent will that be done. Christ, through the Spirit, will do this. To what extent? He will reverse the curse in every way. These truths are more glorious than we might first think. The good news, listen, the good news makes a mockery of our silly, fleshly pursuits. It makes the the good news of Jesus Christ, the atonement of Christ, the reversal of the curse makes a mockery of our fleshly desires, our jealousies, our greed, our longings. It makes a mockery of the smallness that we make of Jesus. It would seem, C.S. Lewis says, that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Who is God? For many, he's nothing more than a little helper. Call on Jesus when needed because everybody knows I need a little help. What a mockery of the cross of Christ. Religious activity. What a mockery of the cross of Christ. Moralism. Just that self-atonement that rises up in each of our hearts. What a mockery of the cross of Christ. Our moralistic salvation sees no need for a bloody cross. Our crucified Savior. Hollywood will reject him. Washington will leverage him for their political gain. And sadly, we will set him aside for the sake of our conveniences and our lusts and our petty desires of our hearts. And no surprise, it's happened before. That's why we have the book of Isaiah, to help us see the the foolishness of the people of God's hearts. And it calls us to repent. Isaiah is a call for revival. It's a call for the awakening of our dull hearts. Verse 10, it's good. If you can hear the children, they're having a good time. Doesn't bother me a bit. Verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people. Some of your versions would say banner. You know what we would use? How we would think of it? It's a flag. It's the banner of Jesus Christ. In that day, the root of Jesse... Jesus, who shall stand as a banner for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. That is to say, when he says, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. 
That is to say, the Gentiles, the nations, the peoples will come and they will experience this awakening of heart in the dead forest as well. Verse number 10, curiously, it's quoted in the New Testament. Strikes me as odd. Who would quote verse 10 from the New Testament? For what purpose? What aim? Well, Paul quotes this verse in Romans 15, verse 12. And he does so, the context there, is to say the Gentiles need the gospel and the Gentiles through Christ now have access to the gospel. And we are to read this and understand this here, but also look at it from that perspective there in Romans. And we're to join with Paul and we're to live what Isaiah is prophesying. We get to live this out. Paul's cry, our cry, is that the Gentiles, the lost, the nations, the people might come to know the God who restores out of the dead forest all of the stumps that have been leveled in the forest due to human pride, redeemed in Jesus Christ. Number three, the good news, Christ's spirit in that day, that's the good news, brings grace, great rejoicing. Verse 11, in that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. No earthly power, no sinful history can thwart the joy that we will have on that day when Jesus returns for his repentant remnant people. In a moment, we will be changed. And that will be forever. Imagine, discouraged, changed. Diseased, no more. Sin, dealt with. Pain, you mothers know the pain of childbirth. The moment you have that child in your arms, it's no more. Pain in a moment gone. We will be changed. In an instant, all these things gone, and more importantly than any of that, we will be in the presence of the Redeemer, the faithful, righteous King. This is joy. Unimaginable. I, I, I choose that word carefully. Like, I don't think we can imagine the joy that we will experience in that day when all the stuff is done. says in verse 11, in that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. He tells us what the first time is in verse 16. 
and there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. That was the first time. From the land of Egypt. From the land of Egypt where they were slaves. The reason why the book of Exodus is called Exodus is they exited Egypt. They were no longer slaves. And they came to the sea, referenced here. And God split the sea. He was their deliverer. And he is walking them into the promised land that he has for them. And he's saying that was the first time. There's a, there's a second time. Now the Assyrians have carried them off. They are now exiled and they will one day return. Remember, it's years ago, we preached through Ezra and Nehemiah. They will return. Well, there will be another return and there will be another deliverance. And our deliverance isn't from our enemy, the Egyptians. And our deliverance isn't from our enemy, the Assyrians. Our deliverance is from the enemy of our soul, Satan himself. And our deliverance is from sin and death. Slaves. Christ came to break the curse of sin and death, of which we have been set free. It's what we sang about the entire morning. Another exodus will take place. Do you know the hope of in that day? Do you know the hope of the already? There is already joy. There is already joy in the face of the sickness, in the face of disasters, in the face of circumstances that are just so painful. The already, Christ has redeemed you. Joy, the not yet. That pain and that suffering and that disease will one day be gone. Joy in the presence of your Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Verse 12, we'll all be gathered. Verse 13, we'll forget about all our petty jealousies. Verse 14 and 15, we'll be united in victory over evil. Verse 16, there will be this homecoming joy. Francis Scott Key, what did he write? Good. Some of you weren't too sure. You kind of, kind of start... <laughs> Star Spangled Banner. You know when he wrote it? 1812. Prisoner. What, what was that? You want to finish? <laughs> That's right. Homeschool. Homeschool mom. He's a prisoner on board a British ship. During the War of 1812, as said, the ship was firing on Fort McHenry. All night. But Francis Scott Key had a vision, a glorious vision of glorious freedom. He wrote these words. You're very familiar with them. And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. It's what the Bible would call that our signal, the banner, was still there. I don't know if Francis Scott Key was Christian. Homeschool moms. No, 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 no. no. But wow, 
what an amazing picture of the Christian life, of the already and not yet. The already is that we are citizens of another kingdom. God's kingdom has been established in our hearts, and the flag is flying. Christ is our banner. He's our signal. He's our flag. Sin has been defeated. You are victorious, flying under that signal, that flag, that is Christ. Sin has been defeated, crushed, but the bombing campaign of the enemy continues all night long. That's us. Repentant, remnant people of God. That's us. Our enemy attacks. We at times feel and appear to be defeated. And yet, in that day, it will end. And what a day of joy that will be. Yes, there is pain and suffering and sin and darkness, but we are to read Isaiah and to, to read it and be assured there's another king. He is Jesus and he is ascended and he gave us his spirit. Rest in this already assurance and be filled with joy already about our king who will come again and will be restored. We will be restored and all things will be made new. This is our glorious hope and a joyful good news. Let's stand together and sing. Thank you.